0: today on Summit Life with J.D. Greer.
1: My friend, I got good news for you. That word, everyone, that has to include you. Jesus created the world in six days with just the word of his mouth. When death had taken over his body and it was beginning to decay, Jesus raised from the dead. He can handle your messed up heart. The gospel is the power of God. Yes, your dysfunction and your sins are bad, but Jesus and his power are greater.
0: Welcome back to Summit Life with pastor, author, and theologian, J.D. Greer. As always, I'm your host, Molly Vitovich. You're joining us at the very beginning of our new teaching series in the Book of Romans. And today, Pastor J.D. continues his introduction to the book and explains what it means for the gospel to saturate your life from the inside out. After all, the goal is to send you out with the life-changing truth of Jesus Christ to a lost and very broken world. You may already know the facts of the gospel, but are you ready to get intimately familiar with the truth of the gospel? Let's join Pastor J.D. in Romans chapter
1: one. Luther taught three terms, which we still use today. I'll give them to you, not in Latin, but in English. The three words that you should know, and I want you to write them down in the margin there. Number one, gift righteousness. Righteousness that's not a standard we obtain, Righteousness, that's a gift that the merciful God gives to us by faith as a gift when we receive it, which leads me to the second word, alien righteousness. Alien righteousness means righteousness from outside of you, not righteousness that corresponds to how righteous you are, not a reward for being righteous, but a declaration that you're righteous because God gives you righteousness. Uh, Imagine you're sitting in physics class. And as you sit there, the teacher stands up and gives you a blank notebook and says, your exam is to explain the difference in the three different kinds of isotopes and the varying electromagnetic qualities between all three of them. You have no idea what he's talking about. So for three hours, you sit there like a dumb animal and just stare at your paper. And when the three hours is finished, you walk up to the teacher's desk with nothing on that piece of paper except for your name. But right before you set down that blank paper on the desk, a student you don't know comes up from behind you and snatches yours out of your hand and takes your blank piece of paper and scrubs out your name and writes their name and then puts in your hand their completed perfect essay having had scrubbed out their name and put your name on it. And so you get the perfect passing grade and they get the failing grade. Now, I realize you were not allowed to actually do that in college. I get that, okay? But that is what Jesus did with alien righteousness. He lived the life that I was supposed to live then took his name off of it and put mine on it. Then he died to death that I was condemned to die and he took my name off of it and put his name on it so that I now have gift righteousness and alien righteousness, which leads me to the third phrase that you use, simultaneously righteous and a sinner. You see, in who I am, I know that I'm still a sinner. It's not that I've actually become righteous, but God has declared me righteous while I am a sinner. Some of you think that righteousness is the standard you work up to and God says, hey, congratulations, you're righteous. No, righteousness is a gift that God gives you from outside of you and he puts you on it. And while you're a sinner, God still sees you as perfect. Not because you are perfect, but because of who Christ is and what he has done in your place. In this, the righteousness of God is revealed. By the way, you should note that this gospel Paul's talking about is not just about forgiveness. That's how we always think about it. Oh, I'm just, I'm not perfect, I'm just forgiven. Yeah, you're not perfect, I get that, but you're not just forgiven, okay? You're also made righteous, which is a whole nother thing. Uh, John Stott, another great Bible teacher says, it's like a prisoner on death row who is pardoned by the judge. But not only is he pardoned, the judge says, after he pardons him, he hangs around his neck the Congressional Medal of Honor and awards him graduate degrees from the most prestigious university in the land so that everywhere this prisoner goes from that point on, that prisoner is greeted as a hero who has done amazing, great things rather than a prisoner who has done shameful deeds. That is what God has given us in Christ. People ask me sometimes how I can be so sure that when I die, I will go to heaven. Is it because they say you have mastered the Christian life so much, you think you're so good at it that God will just make sure he grades on the curve and you'll get in? Absolutely not. In fact, it is quite the opposite. The reason I know for sure that I will go to heaven when I die is because I am as sure of heaven as Jesus Christ himself is. Why? Because Jesus became my righteousness. And when God says to me, JD, why do you think you're worthy to get into heaven? I will stand up and I will say, because I fasted for 40 days in the wilderness and then I resisted Satan to his face. And I had so much faith I walked on water and I never had an impure thought. And I was so full of love that when they were crucifying me, I looked down from the cross and I said, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. You're like, wow, that was, when did you do all that? I didn't do any of it. That was Jesus's exam he filled out that he took my name off of and put my name on. I am righteous in Christ. People say, why are you you not discouraged at all the lack of progress that you have made in the Christian life? Here's why, because I know that I have the resurrection power of Christ in me and I know that he has promised that one day I will see him as he is and when I see him, I will be like him and I know that that resurrection is gonna present me faultless in his presence with great joy. People say, how are you not discouraged at the obstacles that are in your life? Here's why, because I know that he that began a good work in me is the one that's gonna complete it. Why are you not discouraged? when it looks like you can't see God at work work in your life. Well, because I know that if he didn't spare his own son for me, then of course he's not also give me freely all things in the Christian life. I know that if God has given me his righteousness, I know that he's gonna keep me all the way through. I'm not just forgiven, I'm made righteous. I'm treated like Jesus because Jesus took my place. That is what this gospel is talking about. Lastly, Paul said, it is to everybody who believes. Everybody, first to the Jew and then to the Greek. Jews were the first people to receive salvation and that made sense to the Jews, they were religious. But then God says, through you, I'm gonna take it to the Greeks and to the Gentiles, which did not make sense to the Jews because the Gentiles, in their view, were the worst kinds of people. Historically, Gentiles were the oppressors. They had these perverse, weird sexual practices, had almost no concept of family. They were the kind of people that took up two spots at the mall to park, uh, you know, part of their car diagonally. Paul says, yep, to them, to everybody. Yeah, hey, hey, hey you, Roman, you you Jewish Roman Christians, you look around, you see those pagan Romans, the ones that are going to the Colosseum, the ones that are you know, bloodthirsty and the ones with all these crazy sexual practices. If they believe, if they believe like you believe, they're gonna experience the power that you experienced. Everybody's a big old word. That means that literally no human has ever existed on the face of the planet earth that the power of God is not able to save and restore if you believe. That includes you. You said, no, 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 you don't understand. I am way messed up. You don't know how many relationships I've destroyed. You don't know what I carry in here. My friend, I got good news for you. That word, everyone, that has to include you. You're like, I don't get it. Here, listen, Jesus created the world in six days with just the word of his mouth. When death had taken over his body and it was beginning to decay, Jesus raised from the dead. He can handle your messed up heart. He can deal with your relationships. The Gospel is the power of God, yes, your dysfunction and your sins are bad, but Jesus and His power are greater. No wonder, verse fifteen, no wonder Paul said, "I am eager. How could you not be eager when you understand power like that? every once in a while, we get to see a first hand glance of somebody who just gets really eager and it 's my favorite thing to see in this church. I think um, some of our college students went to this conference called the new year 's conference uh, campus outreach new year 's conference and there was one of our students a couple of years ago, got to know three guys whom he described as having, his words, zero spiritual interest at all. He said, you know, just every time I tried to talk to them about spiritual things, was like throwing a, you know, a brick in a, a pond, just sank right to the bottom. He says, but they invited me, because he's a pretty good athlete, invited me to join their flag football team. He said, uh, so I joined up. So it was pretty embarrassing because the very first game they picked a fight Got in a big, you know, kind of all team involved fight there. We got suspended from the tournament. Um, he said we made a case. They let us back in on probation. We ended up winning the entire tournament. Uh, he said, "Well, over the course of two years, little by little, they've started to listen to what I'm saying, and so they came with me to their New Year's conference." He said, "So the night that I was there, and then I spoke, one of the guys comes to faith in Christ." So I, I find this story out later. This guy goes back to the, their, their, their room and um, leads his friend to Christ. Remember, there's three of them. He leads his friend to Christ in a room by Googling the gospel. How awesome is that? What is the gospel? Again, okay, they takes them through it, take them to Romans 10, nine, prays to receive Christ. Then the two of them, the next morning, first thing in the morning, go and find their third friend and lead him to faith in Christ. So here in the space of about 12 hours, You've got three guys that have come to faith in Christ because of the faithful labor of a guy for two years because he's eager about the gospel. By the way, I told that guy, I'm like, that means you're a spiritual great, great, great grandfather, which is amazing when you're in college, right? It's How could you not be eager if you've experienced the power of the gospel? I love how Charles Spurgeon says it. If you really understand what Jesus has done for you, You won't be able to keep the good news to yourself. You'll be whispering it in your child's ear. You'll be telling it to your husband. You'll be earnestly imparting it to your friends without the charms of eloquence. You'll be way more than eloquent because your heart will speak and your eyes will flash as you talk of his sweet love. You don't need a public speaking course. You don't need to go to seminary. And when Jesus has become real to you, you become the most eloquent speaker there is because you're talking about something that comes from your heart. I remember we read this book by Andrew Carnegie about how to speak publicly effectively. He's like, eloquence is overrated. He said, the most eloquent person you'll ever see is just go up to a random person on the street and shove them down. He goes, and watch, they'll pop up and they'll be as eloquent as you've ever seen anybody speak because they're mad. When you have the gospel and it's real to you, you just become a passionate, eloquent speaker about Jesus. By the way, maybe the reason some of you aren't eager to share the gospel is it's never really become real to you. It's like a theory, it's like a religious theory up there, but you don't talk to your friends about it because you've never tasted of its power personally. And by the way, don't hear me condemning you because that's what this year is about. Maybe this year you'll, for the first time, take the doctrines of the gospel and they'll travel those 18 inches between your head and your heart and you'll taste of its power and then you won't be able to shut up about it either. By the way, when Paul said, I'm eager to preach the gospel to Rome, realize that eagerness for him came with a cost, right? I mean, for me, I'd be eager to preach the gospel in Rome today. Pope, if you're listening and you want me to come to the Vatican and preach the gospel to you guys, I'm happy to do it, okay? Ready and willing, Because we think Rome is like luxurious vacation, right? I mean, I've only been to Rome one time, and it was a mistake. Um, No, no, here's why. Because they diverted our plane in the air for some reason and gave us an unplanned 13-hour layover in Rome. So I'm busy trying to, you know, like, what do I got to do? There were three things I wanted to do in Rome. Number one, I wanted to go to the Colosseum because the movie Gladiator had just come out and Russell Crowe in that movie reminded me a lot of myself, okay? So that was number two. I want to go visit the catacombs because I heard a lot about that. And then number three is I wanted to go and eat at the original Olive Garden. Um, I was able to accomplish one of those three things. I'll let you figure out which one it was. It would be awesome. All of us would love to go to Rome. I'd be eager to preach, but that's not what it meant for Paul. I mean, for Paul, just read in the book of Acts, his journey to Rome. I mean, we're talking beatings and stonings and shipwreck and chains and prison and floating in the sea for half a day and then getting bitten by a snake that dangled off of his arm and then getting dragged into Rome where he's held in prison and ends up being executed there. It wasn't an awesome vacation trip for him, but Paul said, it's totally worth it. Because I know this is the power of God. And I know that this power could even save Caesar if Caesar would believe it. And I know that this power can affect anybody that believes it. And so if it costs me my life to get it to you, it's totally worth it.
0: This is Summit Life with J.D. Greer. Before we continue with today's teaching, I want to let you know about a powerful new resource meant to encourage you in your relationship with God. Pastor J.D. just released his latest book called Essential Christianity, which actually draws on the book of Romans to provide a clear and comprehensive explanation of the Christian message. And the beautiful part is that it intersects with our current teaching series we just began, so you can combine the two for extra insight and understanding. You can receive your copy of Essential Christianity today by making a donation of $35 or more to our ministry at jdgreer.com. And as a thank you, we'll also send you a free companion study guide to help you dig deeper into the book's message. It has reflection questions meant for either personal study or group discussion. So don't wait, get your copy of Essential Christianity today and continue growing in your faith with Summit Life and Pastor J.D. Greer. Now let's return to today's teaching. Once again, here's Pastor JD.
1: Here's a question. What's the gospel worth to you? What's the gospel worth to you? And is it worth you being eager with the people around you? So let me use the, 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 the moments we have remaining. I'm gonna tell you what this means for us as a church this year. And then I'm gonna tell you what it means for you personally this year, okay? First, what it means for us as a church. It means that as much as I am able, By God's grace, the gospel will always be paramount at this church in our message and in our mission. As your pastor, I need you to understand that I always want to keep us focused on the gospel. Why? Because it is itself the only power of God. So yes, I'm gonna try to share practical things along the way with you but understand that the only thing that'll change you is when you behold the gospel and believe the gospel. And that's why I'm always gonna come right back to it in everything we do. D. Martin Lloyd-Jones, another one of my preaching heroes, um, back in the 1950s, he said, you know, there's this big discussion today about whether sermons should be doctrinally rich or practically relevant. Now it's amazing, here we are 70 years later, people argue about the exact same thing. He said, I would say neither. He said, because the goal of a lecture is that you leave with a page full of notes. The goal of a motivational speech is you leave with a page full of action steps. The goal of preaching the gospel is that you leave worshiping. There should come a time in any gospel message where the pen goes down and the eyes go up and you stop saying, oh my God, look at what I gotta do for you. And you start saying, oh my God, look at what you've done for me. Because in that moment of wonder, you change. You don't change because I give you wise insight for living. You change because the constitution of your heart changes. I mean, you guys know me, I wanna be practical. I wanna be helpful, but I'm gonna go ahead and tell you. Learning Uncle JD's 10 insights on being a good husband aren't gonna be nearly as helpful for you husbands as you pondering the 10 billion steps that Jesus took when he came to save you. You'll become a much better husband. You'll become the husband your wife has always dreamed of having when you stand in wonder at the grace that Jesus showed you because you'll become like him. And that's a whole lot better than my insight. So that's what it means for my preaching. It means that in our church, we're gonna do our very, very best to always stay focused on the gospel as our mission because there's a lot of secondary agendas, important agendas, things that are important in society that could take us away from our primary agenda. You understand, that's one of the reasons, if you've been around here, that's one of the reasons you know that I avoid any kind of political engagement. It's not that I don't have political opinions. I mean, you can listen to me and probably tell that I got 10 opinions on every subject, right? It's just that I know that if this church becomes characterized by a particular political viewpoint or slant, then we will lose opportunity to preach the gospel to the rest of everybody else, right? And I don't want, my, I don't want our, our bandwidth to be used up on things that are not the gospel. That's why I, I, I tell you, I'm like, you know, hey, I, 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 I get, I might be wrong in my opinion on global warming. I might be, and what to do about it. I might be wrong in the helpfulness or unhelpfulness of a single payer health care system. I might be wrong in my policies on immigration, but I am not wrong about the gospel and I refuse to let my opinions on the former keep people from hearing me on the latter. I know at the end of the day, I know these questions are important and you need to have them and you need to educate yourself on them, but salvation did not come riding on the back of an elephant. It didn't come riding in on Air Force One. It came in a baby's cradle in a manger and that's what we're gonna talk about here because Jesus is the power of God to change. And I don't wanna let any secondary thing come in the midst of preaching that one thing, right? It's why in all the mission agendas we do, preaching the gospel is central to us. One of the most riveting, maybe jolting stories, I think, in Jesus's life is John six, where Jesus feeds the 5,000 with five loaves and two fish. Read the story, immediately after he gets done, everybody in the crowd wants to make him king. Why? If this dude can do that with five loaves and two fish, what could he do in the stock market? This guy can end world hunger. What does Jesus do? He runs. He leaves, he retreats, he goes up on the mountain and hides. Then he comes back at the end of the chapter preaching the gospel. What was so important to him that he would even forego solving world hunger? Preaching the gospel. Because feeding hungry bellies will keep people alive for a lifetime, but preaching the gospel will save their soul for eternity. It's not that we ever choose like and do one without the other. I mean, we do this as part of our love for our neighbor, but we understand that in the midst of all the good things we do for our neighbor, the very best thing we can ever do is we can preach to them the gospel that can save their soul eternally. It's why we don't build this church around our own cultural preferences because, you know, it's not really about the things that you and I like. If this gospel is going to be for our community, then we've got to figure out what to do to get the gospel accessible to our community. God has not just called us to reach one kind of person from one particular culture in one particular part of the city. He's called us to reach everybody here, which means that we've got to do things here that may not be exactly the way that you prefer them. Because one thing I've learned, uh, you probably have too, is that different cultures prefer different things in worship. Have you noticed that yet? Right, have you? Um, we got a lot of historic, you know, kind of Baptist, Southern Baptist in here. Hey, here's what I know about, about, about you people, okay? I know that, man, they love to sing the words that are in the song. And I know that if they would get really into it, This is what they do right here, okay? Hand about that high. And if they're like totally feeling like in the spirit, they'll kind of do the carry the TV thing right here. That's kind of their moment. And when I'm preaching, if I say something really good, man, they'll let out a very short staccato, amen. Now, we've got others from a more Pentecostal background, they're the ones who are out in the lobby before the service, they're, you know, stretching. because uh, they don't wanna pull a hammy during worship, okay, um, and we, I know we have uh, some of our, we've had members here who came from a um, African-American Pentecostal background that men, when they would talk back to me in service, they wouldn't let out a short staccato, amen. I mean, we're talking full sentences with paragraphs and questions, and I'm like, do I have to stop and like answer this question or what is going on here? Um, we had a group of uh, students from an Asian country, we used to sit right in the second row in one of our services. Man, during worship, y'all, it was inspiring to watch them um, because they, they, they didn't sing the words of the song. They would shout the words and they would jump up and down and they would move. And then the moment I stood up here to preach, they would just, I mean, deathly quiet. They would just sit there. And I was, eventually after like three or four months, I went to one of them, I'm like, hey, do I just, am I talking too fast? Do y'all not understand what I'm saying. Um, do I just not connect with you? And I remember this guy, he looks at me, he goes, no, no, no. He said, in our culture, it's just very impolite to speak when somebody else is on stage speaking. He said, so we we, we try to show honor to you preaching the word of God by, by staying as quiet as we can and taking notes on everything that you're saying. Which of those worship styles is God's favorite? Well, yes and amen, right? Yes and amen. It's just different. And we know that if we're going to reach the people in our triangle it's not going to be because we just tailor everything to one particular kind of worship preference so let me go ahead and save you an email okay it's not about you and you're like well I prefer this and I prefer that and I'm like I could care less what you prefer the question is what do we got to do to reach people with the gospel the definition of a multicultural church is that at some point you get uncomfortable including if you're the pastor okay If you're not uncomfortable, it means you're not in a multicultural church. You might, most people say they want a multicultural church, but what they want is a multicolored church with a bunch of people acting like they're all in your culture. If we're going to reach people who are far from God, it's gonna be because we do things that that we're not used to doing and we are open to to expanding our horizons. And that's the reason behind what we do because we wanna be a gospel people because that's what's good for the gospel. That's what it means for us as a church. Here's what it means for you personally. Two things real quick, okay? Paul's prayer for the Colossians, in Colossians and Romans, was that the gospel grew deeper in them and then wider through them in the world. Deeper in you, deeper in you. Man, let's shake every apple we can off this apple tree in the space that we've got here, okay? Memorize the verses, get an accountability partner. Let's make it very, very serious what we're doing with Romans, deeper in you. Number two, wider through you in the world. I wanna introduce something to you that we're gonna talk more about next week, but I at least wanna introduce it to you this week. Um, It's a little phrase called, who's your one? I want you to prayerfully identify at least one person this year, everybody in here, one person that you can build a relationship with and that you can begin to share the gospel with, somebody that's outside one of your children. It, It might be, for example, just simply asking them, how can I pray for you? What if you committed to inviting at least one unbeliever or one unbelieving family to be in your home at least one time a month for a meal or some kind of social event. Somebody from the gym, somebody from your soccer, kid soccer team, somebody from the school. At least one time a month, I'm gonna commit to doing something with somebody outside. I want you to pray, begin to pray about one person who can be your one that you can can pray about reaching out to over the course of the year. Am I eager to share the gospel with people in my life and to invite somebody into this spiritual journey? Am I as eager as Paul was?
0: Do you have someone you're praying for? Take that as a challenge today from us here at Summit Life with J.D. Greer. If you missed any part of today's teaching, you can hear it online at jdgreer.com. Well, we're just at the beginning of an exciting new series in the Book of Romans. For the next few weeks, we'll study the first few chapters and then we'll take a short break and return to it this summer. And it's a rich book with lots to unpack. So we will take our time over the coming months to saturate ourselves in its truths. So to help you along the way, we're excited to offer you our newest premium resource, Pastor J.D.'s newest book, Essential Christianity. This new book walks through the gospel by examining 10 of the key words that the Apostle Paul uses in the book of Romans. Use it as your companion while reading through this most important book of the Bible and let the truth sink in even deeper. We'd love to get you a copy as our way of saying thanks for your gift of $35 or more to support this ministry. To give, just call 866-335-5220. That's 866 335 5220, or give online at jdgreer.com. I'm Molly Vitovich and we're so glad that you joined us today. We'll see you Tuesday as we continue on into the book of Romans, right here on Summit Life with J.D. Greer. Today's program was produced and sponsored by J.D. Greer Ministries.